0: Please turn in your Bibles back to Psalm 89. Psalm number 89 and verses 3 and 4. I have made a covenant with my chosen, I have sworn to David my servant and I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. This evening we ask the question, where did our salvation begin? And what were the origins of our salvation? And to answer that question, we must go back into eternity before the foundation of the world to an eternal covenant made within the three persons of the Trinity. This will be our subject tonight, the eternal covenant of redemption between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is this covenant which we read of here in Psalm 89 and verses three and four. The Father here speaks to his beloved Son, and he mentions specifically The covenant, he says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. He speaks of David here, and David indeed was a chosen one of God to be king of Israel, but David was only a type of Christ who was to come. And so as we read of David, my servant, my chosen one, we may look through these words to the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the Father here ultimately speaks of his beloved Son. He speaks of him as David, my servant, because he will be the Son of David according to the flesh when he comes into the world and he is my servant, the servant of the Lord, as Isaiah so often speaks of him. And the Father makes a covenant here with him. I have made my covenant with my chosen. A covenant is made up of both conditions and oath-bound promises. And a covenant is between two or more parties. And each party, there are conditions of the covenant which must be fulfilled. We could call them requirements of the covenant And based upon the fulfillment of those conditions, there are oath-bound promises in which the other party swears that he will fulfill the promises of the covenant. And this is what took place within the Trinity in the eternal covenant of salvation. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit They swore to one another an oath that they would fulfill their promises based upon the requirements and the conditions of the covenant. This is why the Father speaks here of the covenant in the beginning of verse 3. He says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. And what is that covenant? He says, I have sworn to David My servant. So the covenant is made up of promises by which he has sworn them to his beloved son, who is David, my servant. And one of the promises of that covenant is given in verse 4. He says, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. He speaks not of the physical descendants of David, but of the spiritual descendants of Christ. David's descendants were only for were only temporary. His throne did not last for many generations, but the throne of Christ will last to all generations, and his spiritual descendants will be forever. This is what the angel said to Mary. He will be called great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now as we look down through other verses in this psalm we will see that these promises that are given in this covenant can only refer ultimately to our Lord Jesus Christ. So this covenant is a covenant between the father and the son in eternity, for our salvation. This is where salvation began. We'll turn and look down to verse 20. And here the Father says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. David was God's servant. David, the king of the Old Testament, He was anointed with oil from Samuel's flask. But this here must speak ultimately of the Son of God, the true servant of the Lord, because he says here, with my holy oil, not with the oil from Samuel's flask, but with my holy oil I have anointed him. With my Holy Spirit, God says, I have anointed him at his baptism and in his ministry I have strengthened him with power. And then we continue in verse 21 and down through verse 25. It says, with whom my hand will be established, my arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him, but I shall crush his adversaries before him, And strike those who hate him. And my faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. And in my name his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. And so here we read of promises that can only come to their fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22, the enemy will not deceive him. As Eve was deceived in the garden, so the Son of God will not be deceived by the enemy, the evil one. In verse 23, All of his enemies will be destroyed, and there will be a footstool under his feet. I shall crush his adversaries before him, and strike those who hate him. He shall destroy his enemies with his power. In verse 25, The father will give all things into the hand of his son and he will give him dominion and sovereignty and power so that he will rule from the sea to the rivers and to the ends of the earth. And then in verse 26 and 27, he says, he will cry to me, thou art my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. The father-son relationship. Verse 27, I shall also make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That term, my firstborn, the one who is supreme and preeminent in rank far above all others, the highest of the kings of the earth. Verse 28, my loving kindness I will keep for him forever and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. Once again, he calls it my covenant the eternal covenant of the Father with the Son. He will be faithful to that covenant forever. Verse 29, so I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. The same promise we saw back in verse 4. But then he says in verse 30, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments He does not say, if he, Christ, shall forsake my law, which Christ cannot do because he has no sin, but he says, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, which speaks of his spiritual descendants, believers, when we sin, we forsake his law. And the same thing in verse 31, if they violate my statutes, and do not keep my commandments. So when his spiritual descendants sin, and they violate and transgress his law, what will the father do? What will the father do? The answer is in verse 32. He says, then I will visit their transgression with the rod, and their iniquity with stripes. He says, I will visit them. He does not say, I will destroy them. He does not say, I will abandon them or cast them out. He means, I will discipline them with my loving, fatherly discipline and bring them back into the right way. Then in verse 33, he says, But I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. I will not break my love off from my son or any of his descendants who are united to him. Verse 34, my covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Again, he calls it my covenant, as he does in the previous verses. And he swears promises in the covenant, verse 35, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. And so the covenant with the Son of God is certain and stable and it is firm and it will never be changed. He will not alter or turn back from any of the covenant promises that he has made with his beloved Son. Verse 36 and 37, His descendants shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon. And the witness in the sky is faithful. So here in this psalm, three times, the Father speaks of the covenant, his covenant with his beloved son, whom he calls here David. And he gives all of these promises to him. And here we have promises that can only come to their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. This is the eternal covenant of the father with the son for our salvation we turn back to verse 3 this is where the plan of salvation began in an eternal covenant between the persons of the godhead and it is often called the eternal covenant of redemption i have made a covenant with my chosen i have sworn to david my servant And throughout this psalm, the father gives these oath-bound promises to his beloved son that he swears that he will fulfill. And so there are oath-bound promises given in a covenant. And where there are these oath-bound promises, there must also be conditions that must be fulfilled. And we can look at other parts of scripture And we can find the conditions of the covenant, the promises that were made in the covenant and bring together these passages to see a view of the eternal covenant between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for our salvation. The Puritan John Flavel wrote of a hypothetical conversation between the Father and the Son in eternity when they made this covenant of redemption. And this is what John Flavel wrote. First, the father spoke to his son and he said, My son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice Justice demands satisfaction for them, or it will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done, he says, what shall be done for these souls? And then the son responds to the father. "O my father, such is my love and pity for them, that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their surety. Bring in all their bills that I may see what they owe you. Bring them all in that there may be no after reckoning with them. At my hand you shall require it. I will rather choose to suffer thy wrath then they should suffer it upon me my father upon me be all their debt and the father said but my son if thou undertake for them thou must reckon to pay the last mite. expect no abasement of no no abatements if i spare them i will not spare you And the son replied, content father, let it be so. Charge it all upon me. I am able to discharge it. And though it prove a kind of undoing to me, though it impoverish all my riches and empty all my treasures, I am content to undertake it. And so what Flavel?" gives us here in that hypothetical conversation is a summary of the various parts of the scripture that form this plan of salvation, this covenant in eternity of the Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit out of their love and desire to save lost sinners The Father knew by his perfect and exhaustive foreknowledge that the human race would fall into sin. And that by one man sin would enter the world and death and condemnation would come upon all men. And we would all be exposed to his holy wrath and eternal judgment by our sins But in his love, the father chose, the father elected a people whom he he determined that he would save them from eternity. Not by any good in them, and not by any good works that they would ever perform, but only by his sovereign grace and his kind intention. And he gave those people to his beloved son for salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, just as he, the Father, chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. And the Son of God in his great love agreed to come into the world and to pay the penalty for our sin that we might be free from all of our guilt and there would be no condemnation upon us anymore. The full fury of the wrath of God would be taken by him in his death upon the cross and we would be freely forgiven and there would be no penalty that we would ever have to pay for any of our transgressions, a full, complete, eternal pardon from our sins. The Father did not spare His beloved Son, but delivered Him up for us all. And the Son voluntarily agreed, I will suffer all things for them that they may not suffer any. And He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. As Flavel said, the Son of God said, charge their debt to my account, and I will give up all of my riches for such poor sinners out of my love for them that they may have unsearchable treasures in eternal life. Paul said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And so the Father appointed the Son to be the mediator, to be the prophet, the priest, and the king of his people, to be the prophet who would speak the word to them, to be the great high priest who would suffer for their sins, make an atonement, and be their intercessor in heaven, and to be the king who would rule them and guide them and protect them from all their enemies. To final salvation. The condition, the condition of this covenant of the Son was that he had to assume our nature as a man. He had to be born under the law, that he might not only fulfill the law in his own righteousness, but pay the penalty for our sins, our violations of the law, in his death upon the cross. And we'll see this condition of the son in Hebrews chapter 2. We'll turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews and chapter 2, and verse 14. He says, since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And then in verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things to Pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. These, spe- these verses speak of necessity. They speak of the conditions placed upon the son which he had to fulfill in the covenant. The beginning of verse 17 says that he had to be absolute necessity. He had to be made like his brethren in all things his coming into the world as a man to be, propiti- to be a propitiation for our sins in his death upon the cross, it was not that the Father said it would be nice for you and it would be nice for them if you were willing to come into the world as a man. It was not that this was an option, but this was essential. This was a necessity And there could be no salvation, there could be no salvation for lost sinners unless the Son of God came down from heaven and assumed our human nature and became a man and then went to the cross to suffer as a propitiation for our sins. And all of this, his coming into the world as a man, his suffering and death upon the cross, all of this had to be done willingly and voluntarily. It could not have been done by force or by the coercion of the Father over the Son because all service that is acceptable to God must be willing and from a cheerful heart. And so it had to be willing and it had to be voluntary. And this is what we find in the Son of God, as he came into the world. We'll turn to Hebrews and chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And beginning in verse 5. The writer quotes from Psalm 40. And in these verses, it is the Son speaking to the Father... And here we have words in that eternal covenant of redemption. Verse 5 Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, The Son says to the Father, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body, a body thou hast prepared for me, the body of his incarnation, his humanity. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure then i said behold i have come in the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will O god and there in verse 7 we have the willingness of the son of god to come into the world and take that humanity to himself to become that one sacrifice that would take away all sin he says behold i have come behold i am willing i am Able to come, I will come to do thy will. And in Psalm 40, the words speak even more of this. We read, he says, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. And then he says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. So the Son of God willingly comes into the world. We look at verse 10. In verse 10, he says, by this will, by this free, voluntary will of Jesus Christ to come into this world and suffer, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then in verse 12, he says, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. So the conditions of the covenant that were given to the son was that he had to be made a man under the law to suffer the penalty of God's broken law. And his conditions had to be fulfilled in absolute perfection. Perfection. There could be not the least flaw, not the smallest transgression of the Father's will. He had to keep the law without any spot or blemish or any such thing. A life of holiness perfectly consistent with the infinite holiness of God himself the father said you shall be holy for i am holy and the son was holy in all of his behavior so that the law was glorified in the righteous life of jesus christ the son could say i have i always do the things that are pleasing to him and i have kept my father's commandment and then he says I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven where that eternal covenant was made with the Father. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me to accomplish all things that he has given me to do. And what does the law say? What does the law say? Listen to what the law of God says Cursed is everyone. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. That's what Jesus had to accomplish. That's what he had to do. He had to abide by all things that were written in the book of the law perfectly to fulfill them. And then he had to suffer the curse on the death of the cross for our sin. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. So the son fulfilled all of the conditions, the requirements that were placed upon him by his heavenly father. And he, prof- he fulfilled them in all perfection. And then the Father was able to fulfill his oath-bound promises to his beloved Son. Promises of a resurrection. Promises of an exaltation to a glorious throne in heaven. And to that kingdom that would belong to him with all of his descendants His people forever. We read of this here really in verse 12. In the beginning of verse 12, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, there's the condition of the covenant that the Father gave to the Son. He offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. And then in the second half of the verse, we have the promise of the Father, sit down at my right hand. Christ fulfills the conditions. The Father fulfills His promise to sit at His right hand. And that comes, that phrase there, sit down at the right hand of God, comes from Psalm 110. And then we see the same thing in verse 13, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Another promise of the Father to the Son in the covenant, those words as well come from Psalm 110. We'll turn back for a moment to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 21. Hebrews chapter 7. And verse 21, and he says, For they indeed became priests without an oath. He speaks here of the old covenant Levitical priests. They became priests without any oath from God. But he, he says, speaking now of Christ, but he with an oath. He became a high priest by an oath. And an oath that came from the one who said to him, from God the Father who said to him with an oath, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, thou art a priest forever. So here the Father swore to his beloved son an oath-bound promise in the covenant that he would be a priest. The Lord swore forever that he would be a priest forever, according to Melchizedek. And we see that these words come from Psalm 110. And we should turn to that psalm for just a moment. Psalm 110. And the psalm begins in verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord... God the Father speaks to his beloved son. The Lord says to my Lord after he has fulfilled all the conditions of the covenant in his sufferings on the cross. Sit at my right hand, he says. Here he raises him up into heaven, a resurrection, an exaltation back into heaven. And the Father says to the son, sit down at my right hand, until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 10. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, thy youth are to thee as the dew. And then in verse 4, we have that verse quoted in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 21. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. He has sworn with an oath to his beloved Son in that eternal covenant Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So the Father raises him from the dead on the conditions that the Son has perfectly fulfilled. In his perfect life of obedience and his death upon the cross. We'll turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 53. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 53. The book of Isaiah and chapter 53. And we'll look at verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. The sufferings and the death of Christ upon the cross. And then he says in the next phrase, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, if he, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, the conditions of the covenant, if the Son of God would come into the world and give himself as a sacrifice for our sin if he would render himself as a guilt offering then here is the promise of the covenant he will see his offspring he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the lord will prosper in his hands if he will fulfill the conditions of the covenant in his death upon the cross as a guilt offering then the Father will fulfill his promises to him of resurrection, of eternal life and glory in heaven, and he will see his offspring, his many seeds, his descendants, and he will prolong his days in eternity, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. The same type of language that we saw in Isaiah, in rather Psalm 89. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. The covenant agreement between the Father and the Son, they both had to be mutually pleased with all the conditions and the promises. The Father had to be pleased with all that the Son would accomplish. The Son had to be perfectly pleased with all that the Father promised him. And so it was. And when Jesus came to the end of his life in John chapter 17, he prayed as he was about to accomplish the cross. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now he said, Glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And as part of the covenant between the Father and the Son, the Father promised to the Son that he would strengthen him and uphold him in his work, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we see back in Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse one. Behold my servant, the father announces his servant who is to come, his beloved son, He says, Behold my servant, and then he gives his promise, whom I uphold, my chosen one, he says, he calls him my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. And this is how I will uphold him. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. We notice here that the father refers to his son as my servant and my chosen one, Those are the same words that we saw in Psalm 89 in verse 3. The Father spoke of the covenant with his Son. My chosen David, my servant, he said. The same words used of him here. The Father will give him the Holy Spirit in his baptism and in his ministry to uphold him in all that he will do. And then in verse 6, the Father speaks of the Son and is commissioning him as well. He says in verse 6, he speaks first of his calling him and commissioning him to his work. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. And then he gives the promise. I will also hold you by my hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. To open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. And so, the Father promises to uphold his beloved Son in all of his work and to give him the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, and the Holy Spirit agreed that he would be poured out upon the church to bring sinners out of darkness and to dwell in them and sanctify them and to prepare them for the eternal kingdom. It was not until the death of the cross that the promise of the Holy Spirit could be given. This is what John explains in John chapter 7, where Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to all believers From his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And John said this, he spoke of the Spirit. But the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had to be glorified. And then the Father would give him the Holy Spirit, which is what Peter speaks of on the day of Pentecost. Having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father, the Son receiving from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth that which you have both see and hear. And so the Son had to accomplish the conditions of the covenant in his life and death. The Father fulfilled his promises to him to raise him and to exalt him. And the Spirit Based upon the resurrection and exaltation of Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to do his work of salvation in all of his people. So what we have seen here tonight is some of the conditions and the promises within the Trinity in the eternal covenant of salvation. The Father, the Son, and the Son the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And here in these verses, he pulls the veil back to give us a glimpse of the inner working of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all of them in perfect agreement in the eternal covenant of salvation. What joy there must have been in heaven with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit coming to agreement, perfect unity regarding the conditions and the promises of this covenant of salvation so that sinners could be saved and brought into the eternal kingdom of the Son of God. There was no other way There was no other way for lost and guilty sinners to be saved than by the love, power, and grace of all three persons of the Trinity. And because of the power and the grace of the three persons of the Trinity, every condition and every promise of this covenant was perfectly fulfilled And it was a covenant that would bring not only salvation to lost sinners, but it is a covenant that will bring more glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit throughout all eternity than any other work of God. Unspeakable joy in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this most wonderful plan, bringing salvation to sinners. And glory to themselves for all eternity. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then all the covenants that God makes with his people throughout history. They are all an outworking of this eternal covenant. The Mosaic covenant The covenant through David, the Davidic covenant, and then we live today under the new covenant through Jesus Christ. They all flow out of this eternal covenant within the Trinity. Where did our salvation begin? It began in the eternal covenant. And it must bring great comfort and assurance to our souls Because it shows us the stability and the certainty of our salvation. That it is based on the eternal and unchangeable purpose of the God who can never change. Here we live in this world under the curse of sin. A world in which there is everything seems to change. A world of uncertainties. And we pass through this life with such conflict, with our remaining sin, with the temptations of the world and the schemes of the devil against us. Everything seems so unstable and uncertain in this world. But this covenant, this covenant puts our salvation in a place of certainty where it can never be touched and it can never be altered And it is above and beyond all the chaos and the changes of this world and our experience. It is in the hands of the omnipotent Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and their great love that they have for us. Did our salvation begin with us? No, Our salvation began with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Did our salvation begin in time? No, our salvation began in eternity past. Did it begin on earth? No, it began in heaven, in the eternal covenant of redemption. Is our salvation based upon any good thing that will ever be found in us? No, it is based in the love and the free mercy and grace of the three persons of the Trinity. Is our salvation made firm and stable by our wills and our resolutions and determinations? No. It is made firm by the unchangeable love and purpose of the eternal God. Can our salvation be altered by the power of the evil one against us? Can our salvation be lost by any strength of remaining sin? The answer is no. Because Jesus, who came down from heaven, said, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. There are many promises that are given to us in the Bible. Promises of forgiveness. Promises of eternal life, promises to be with Christ, an eternal kingdom, promises of the city of God to come, promises of a new heaven and new earth. But all the promises given to us are based upon the promises of the Father to the Son in the eternal covenant. And if God were to violate any promise to us, he would have to violate promises given to his beloved son. And that he can never do. We who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are under the new covenant. And the new covenant is a covenant of grace And there are, in the new covenant, there are promises and there are conditions in the new covenant. But the conditions are all fulfilled by the grace of the covenant. The conditions of the covenant for us are that we first repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus. The conditions of the covenant are that we Obey his commandments and pursue a life of holiness. We read of these conditions in passages in the New Testament so many times. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement. of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And Peter says... Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior. And so there are all of these passages of the duties and the conditions that are given to us in the New Covenant. But all the conditions of the New Covenant are met by the grace that is given in the Covenant. The conditions are met by the grace of the Covenant so that the Covenant is secure and firm in the grace and power of God. The Holy Spirit is given to dwell within us so that Paul can say to the Galatians, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh and the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit within us. We are told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But how will we do so? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We can do nothing apart from Christ, but we can do all things through him who strengthens us. We abide in him and he abides in us. And he assures us that we will pursue holiness and that we will walk in his ways and We will be faithful to him. Our adequacy is from God, Paul says, as servants of a new covenant in which the Spirit gives life. And we are being transformed by Christ from glory into glory, into his image. We'll turn to one last passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 20 and 21. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, there's the condition of the Son in his covenant with the Father and is perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ by his blood upon the cross. And the Father has fulfilled his promise by bringing him up and raising him to the highest place in heaven. And then we read in verse 21, he will equip you in every good thing to do his will. The grace of the covenant that is given to us, the new covenant that he announces in this book of Hebrews, he will equip you He will equip you, he will empower you, enable you in every good thing to do his will. He is at work in us to do his will and his good pleasure. And then he says, working in us by his power, mightily working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So he is the one by the grace of the covenant who works in us all the conditions of the covenant so that they are fulfilled and we are pleasing to God through Jesus Christ in whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So there are the conditions of the covenant, the new covenant given to us, but all those conditions are fulfilled by the grace that is given to us in the covenant. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Blessed be the Son of God who has come to suffer for our sins, and blessed be the Holy Spirit who has come to do his work of sanctification in us. Let us pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for your holy word that shows us the glorious plan from eternity, of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all in agreement and in their works to do and to accomplish everything needed for our salvation. Lord, we pray that you would teach us these things tonight. Give us hearts of faith and confidence in you and bless your word to us and may we rejoice that there is such a great salvation for lost and guilty sinners like ourselves. Blessed be our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.